Hey everybody, let's talk about how language shapes our realities with my buddy Mark England. He teaches a very unique and ultra simple method of shadow work called story work. Mark is a language coach and he's on a mission to dramatically reduce the amount of unnecessary stress and drama in the world and to create more powerful, happy people as a result. He's a co-founder of Procabulary and Enlifted, which offers courses, coaching, and live events worldwide. And on this symposium, we have a few drinks and we cover lots of great topics like conflict language versus architect language. We explain the rules to our new soft talk drinking game, which we play throughout the show, how breath and story work can really change a reality, what Mark thinks the world will look like if the victim mentality continues to run unchecked, Mark's call to action to change yourself and to stabilize that change, how leveled up friends are a game changer, what story work is and how it works, how strong emotions like chili peppers burn twice, how the victim mentality is going to be very uncool in the near future. Mark also explains the best definition of victim mentality that I've ever heard. We discuss addiction to identities. We discuss how a robot voice can heal your soul, (laughs) why you should be more like a pirate, a bit about combo, which is a healing substance taken from the Amazonian giant tree frog, why political correctness is sterilizing our culture, and why you should be offended more often for your personal growth. How hate speech has nothing on self-hate speech. And why you should wear a tracksuit with confidence. I hope you guys enjoy this symposium. We had a blast recording it. Let me know your thoughts on it. This is, again, the first one that I'm putting out there. And you can find me at Jessica Depazzi underscore. That's D-E-P-A-T-I-E. Enjoy the show. Now I'm going to take a picture of us real quick. Okay. Okay. Cool. Ready? Ready. Boom. We're recording. Mark England. Jessica. Is it true that when people start working with you, they develop a tick? The vocabulary stutter, as it has been known for a little while. Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, almost exclusively, and almost exclusive across the board, yes. Because when people connect the dots between how their language is influencing them, they start a process. It first starts with awareness. Awareness, one, that there's a game to be played. And then, specifically, what words to use less of and what words to use more of. And when people start practicing because it's vocabulary is absolutely a practice Jessica. They start taking out words, keywords, like soft talk keywords. You know, because what we think and say matters, especially when we're playing drinking games. Much like we are today. I've been on over 100 podcasts. I stopped counting at 100. That, that happened sometime in the middle of last summer. This is the first one that I've ever boozed on and first one I've definitely ever uh, played a, a drinking game on. It was your idea. I think it's a fantastic idea. And just to come full circle on the, the, the vocabulary stutter, the, the, the tick that people develop when they start remediating their speech 
I mentioned it to Adam Chin, who you were in contact. Mm-hmm. And he came back. That guy thinks of really great. Uh, you, you give him a concept and he'll come up with the name for it. He came up with vocabulary. He came up with an order. Okay. He's genius like that. And in a lot of other ways. And he came back and he said, you know, it's not accurate English and uh, we'll just call it a speech embetterment. I died. <laughs> I can't believe that one. We've got, got a speech embetterment. We dropped that. We just graduated uh, a bunch, a big pile, a gaggle of level two uh, elliptic coaches, story work coaches. And Adam came on at the end and just gave everybody a you know, big, great job, you uh, talk. And he dropped speech and betterment, and everybody just loved it. it how did you get, how did, why did you ask me about that? Because you've been noticing something. Is that correct? I interviewed Ashley Bledsoe, who's one of my best friends in the whole world, and I believe she's in your level two. She just graduated. Oh, congratulations, Ashley. So on the podcast. Call sorry. Call right now? Yeah, call let's do it. Yeah, good idea. Can we drop F-bombs on here? Sure. Cool. I wanted to ask you about that, Mr. Language Expert, on what your thought okay. is on that. I'm a big fan of spicy language. Uh, her, she's in my phone as, protect your phone. For fucker for life? Where did that come from? You know what, either she's gonna <laughs> tell us or I'm gonna tell us. So we'll see okay. if she'll tell us first. Well, the show that she was on, we talked for three hours about sex and floor fucker didn't come up, but I feel like it would've been okay. Ashley Bledsoe, hey, I'm on a podcast live right now with Jessica DePoppy, and we're talking about you. Hey, floor what? fucker. <laughs> I just wanted to get the story of why you're in my phone as floor fucker for life. And I said, well, let's call her, see what happens. And, and you're doing something else. So I'm going to tell her the story and uh, hope you're well. Um, yeah, and all those things. Love you. Bye. Call us back. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll just I'll message her there. So she's uh, call us back. So I lived at the Bledswell. She and Mike have separated, and March of last year, they're still together. Anyway, I move out there. I lived with them for the summer. Oh, you broke and them up, huh? All of a sudden, they were divorced. <laughs> Up. They were on the way out, and and just on a side note, they I've, I've seen two couples decouple in 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 world class ways. And since we're talking about language, they did it so well. I watched them have a couple of public discussions, hour long discussions about the status of them, real time, real feels. It was impressive. Um, she comes in with a floor fucker t-shirt on. And, you know, not too many of those floating around. She, she goes and she strips, uh, um, she, did some, she did an amateur night at uh, uh, 
a club up at Oceanside. Oh, yeah. I think she won. And she then she got into pole dancing. And she had this shirt on, and she had these boots, six-inch stiletto heels. And I'm as much of a fan of nicknames, Jessica, as I am track suits mm. and pirates and mixed martial arts fighting and words. So, as, and, and people's, people's nicknames, they nickname themselves. So, I'm like, that. there it is right there. There's your, that's your nickname. And she's, she went with it. That's great. I hope by the end of this show, I can have a nickname. I don't get nicknames often, ever. What does that say about me? I haven't gotten that though. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see <laughs> they have happens on their own. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Mark and I had talked about, oh, the game, right? I want to talk yeah. about that before I get too many points against me. Let me get a few in. Um, Maybe, you know, right? Possibly, perhaps think okay any more kind of kind of oh it feels so sure. good to say those because for the next at least hour likely oh likely is that one i'm gonna be drinking a lot due to this new fun drinking game that we just came up with and it was her idea folks <laughs> we play a drinking game based around conflict language so there's a subset of the english language called conflict language that people use accidentally and unconsciously to essentially force themselves to focus on the things that hurt. Uh, the times they were wronged, what they don't want to have happen, create massive indecision, you know, the good stuff. So I started thinking about it. It was the first time I'd ever been, I'd ever, I'd ever had the request to create a drinking game around vocabulary. And I'm like, okay, well, the easiest thing to do is every time someone uses a soft talk keyword unconsciously, accidentally, unsanctioned, they drink, they take a drink. So what are the keywords? She just said them, I'm gonna repeat them because we want you all to scrutinize our language. We're all in this together, everybody. The soft talk keywords are thinks, likes, maybes, sort ofs, kind ofs, I guesses, almost likes, perhaps, Try, hope, one day. You can use them consciously by holding up a finger and going like that. So I guess I like my drink selection. Or I think we need to talk about abracadabra. Or I hope Jennifer McMaster is having a good time on a lifted level one coaching certification. She is, by the way. She's doing great. She shows up. All you got to do is show up and say the things, say the stuff and feel the feels and you know, the magic will happen. So yeah, that's, that's, and, and, and just on a side note, you know, Hey Mark, Jessica, what's the big deal about soft talk? I've never met anyone that says they love prolonged bouts of indecision my actual nightmare it's 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 a it's a it's a quite common occurrence and those words folks they create that indecision they make you look at yourself and your imagination as flimsy as wishy-washy mm. as uh, uh, uncentered and off balance and insecure 
you know, I, I and and it also it's there, there's a lot to it. Truth be told, it it kicks the can down the road about stuff that ninety five percent of the time we know is true. So I guess I need to spend some more time with the kids. Take out. The that gift. seems like a very reasonable thing to say. It does. And then things get really real when the guest, the soft talk, is taken out. Good catch on the news. I need to spend more time with the kids. So now instead of thinking about whether I'm doing it or not, I now own it. And you'll know if it's true by how you feel about saying it. Then, and, and that, then the scary stuff comes in, which is behavior change. And it also, it also creates a very peculiar situation, psychologically speaking. I think I'm avoiding the conversation. How many eyes are in that sentence, Jessica? I think I am avoiding, I'm, I just gave away. There's two. I just created an extra me and delegated some of the decision-making on. There's now two of me in my imagination. Why do I need an extra me when I'm, when I'm, when I'm uh, deciding what I'm gonna do with my life? Trust me, one's enough, folks. One of you is plenty. That's so insane. It's crazy. It's exactly it is, and we like we like sanity. Okay, we have um, when we launched and lifted at Paleo Effects, the 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 wristbands. We had those little plastic wristbands or rubber wristbands, and it said, uh, "Sane, sexy, secure." Sane, like sexy, secure. I'm going to get an insane shape. Why don't you get an insane shape? Mm. Anyway, words. So good. when we soft talk, we drink. And there aren't that many people that know how to play spin the pen games. This is how I got through school <laughs> with my ADD. <laughs> yeah, that's... Self-diagnosed. I've been doing this for probably 25 years. Let me see yours. Pretty good, huh? Never gotten that one. Have you seen the one where they spin it around? Oh, like, you do that like that. Well, so as soon as my Adderall prescription ran out, <laughs> well, more like I realized I lost my sparkle and I was needing to regain my strength in college. I learned how to spin my pen. It was a lifesaver. Tell me a barbell shrug story. Barbell shrug story. Barbell shrugged when we went to our first team meeting in 2012 or 13 was the first time I realized that people were different than me. Shocking. We did a personality test, the most basic MBTI test ever, and it changed my life. And from then on, that was one of my big spiritual awakenings it was just simply doing 16 personality tests. And so I will always attribute my spiritual growth to the Bledsoe's and the Barbell family. And I never got a chance to meet you while I was there because I was on my transition out while you were on your way in. But I'm glad we're connecting now. Yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. I'm glad too. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that can attribute a lot of goodness to Barbell Shrugged and the Bledsoe's and we are absolutely one of them. Definitely. For sure. They, um, we got introduced to the fitness industry through the, the best podcast in the game. I mean, what else can you, 
So it, 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 it changed our business model forever, it changed the landscape of our company forever. We, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Mike and I, we welded each other, we welded, we welded each other, we welded ourselves to each other at the hip for a solid year and a half. Cool. During that year and a half, I saw your persona change. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. You were a little bit more East Coast and buttoned up before you came on to the West Coast. <laughs> and I do know that you spent a long stint in Thailand, so I'm not trying. Trying. Damn. Is that too late? Right. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and just go ahead and drink. Well, I need, I need to get back to that. So you are not a stereotypical East Coast guy because you stayed in Thailand, you lived in Thailand for 10 years, and I'm sure that does something to your culture and your language, which I want to ask you about. But I remember you changing and it was cool. It was really cool. I loved seeing that. I love seeing people morph into new versions of themselves and try out new things. And the same went for the Bledsoe's, the same went for everybody. I was still on their Slack channel when you were coming in and everybody was doing the vocabulary like core language upgrade, which is amazing, amazing, amazing. And I remember Elise saying, this is changing my life. And I was already checked out at that moment, so I wasn't going back into it. But I'd heard you on a podcast a few months afterwards and it blew my mind and I made, a, I, I could have gotten the course for free, but <laughs> I decided to pay for it. And I went through it and it changed the way that I talk and think and the way that I delegate and all sorts of things. That's music to our ears. You know, we, um, we say uh, very frequently, if anyone gets more out of this, these programs than we do, then, you know, but lucky, lucky everybody. It's, uh, It wasn't a do or die moment. Um, that's too strong of language. It was, it was a do or be a miserable bastard for three to four more decades and, and die uh, a grumpy ass, uh, twisted old man. And what I mean by that is when I realized after a year of not laughing, I didn't laugh for an entire year over in Thailand when my knee fell off and uh, my, my martial arts career stopped. And I re- recognized, accurately recognized, that I can tell myself this woe is me victim story, how I had been wronged by life, genetics, I was somehow doomed to fail, you know, all the, the good stuff. There's something wrong with me, mm-hmm. not good enough. Yak, yak, yak. Different flavors of a telephobia. Look at telephobia, folks. It's the, it's, it's the thing. And I looked down that path and I was like, dude, any, anything but that. Anything but that. I will take anything but that version of myself. And the language re remediating my language when i say language folks i mean internal dialogue and external dialogue changing what i think changing what i say changing what i text it's made all the difference it's the most practical as in i can practice this 
most practical thing I've ever come across as far as personal development. Because guess what? To say that our, our, our language is, is, is constant is, uh, it's an understatement. It's relentless. That's usually the last thing people recognize before they go to sleep is their voice in their head. And it's usually the first thing people recognize before they even know they're awake. It's like the body is waking up and then there's my thoughts. There's my mm. voice in my head. Yeah. The core language upgrade that you teach in the online course that's available for anybody to join at any time, that is the easiest form of shadow work. I think you can, the best thing that you could do. It's so simple that I feel like it could put my show out of business <laughs> because shadow work, it's all about bringing the unconscious to your conscious. And when you start to just change the words, a few translations here and there, it can be that easy. It's part, it's part, definitely part of the program. Um, it's part of the solution. It's part of the solution to the victim mentality. So I wanted to ask you, is shadow work directly correlated to people who are insecure? Where does the shadow work come, or sorry, the soft talk, does it come from insecurity or is it, does it come from some other place and then turn into insecurity? That's a good question. Very good question, Jessica. I, I, you know, I, it's, a, it's one of those, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, did the, is the way the English language is used currently an expression, of, or, uh, a current modern day expression of the collective ingrained unresolved victim mentality or is, is the English language reinforcing it? I, I'd have to go with I'd have to go with it is an expression of yeah, yeah I, I don't know that's okay too <laughs> i really don't i think about it sometimes i'm like did somebody tweak the english language did somebody get in a room somewhere and say okay we're gonna we're gonna this is this is how we're going to get people to tell themselves stories about themselves in order to keep them in the dark, in confused, and most importantly, in chronic upregulated stress responses. Because mm. when somebody uses the soft talk, that's the indecision. When somebody uses projections, the blame game, that's where the venom comes from. If somebody uses negations, which force people to stare at worst case scenarios, it's where the worry comes from. You know, Jessica, I can't keep focusing on my past. When I say that, what do I force myself to look at? Again, my past and the good stuff? No, 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 no. The bad stuff, which <clears throat> tightens me up a little bit. It gets my breath up trapped in my upper chest. And you know, most people's, you've been in the fitness industry for donkey's years. Most people's breathing mechanics are wrecked. Their breath is just trapped in their chest. There's there it's and and very not fun things happen when people's that people live like that. I used to live like that, and I was convinced it was the world's fault. Mm -hmm. I have to apologize for this noise. By the way, we're getting our septic tank drained or pumped or I don't know what it's called, but 
one of the magic elements of living in the country. <laughs> Septic system being pumped while you're doing a podcast. <laughs> I live 10 minutes outside of a one-stop light town. I'm currently in a big city right now, but uh, I love that. I love, I, I, I like, I like the country. Love a good septic system too. Sure. I like that you teach to pay attention to your breathing and the rhythms of your chemistry in the course uh, or in your certification course, because to me, communicating is like giving and receiving. How are you in similes, by the way? Is that okay? I like it because you, you, regardless of how you're using it, if you give it the, give it the, give it the finger and you did. So that's ownership. Listen, when you're playing this game, awareness is everything. Mm. Connect is everything. As Mike Bledsoe, Ashley Bledsoe, they were at my family's lake house a couple of years ago, and and they're like, uh, they put on rubber bands. You can do that. That's some high level practice. Uh. Okay? You snap yourself every time you catch yourself working on whatever pillar of of, of conflict language you're working on. There's only three, negations, projections, and soft talk. That accounts for roughly, this is unofficial numbers, 85% of the ways that people terrorize themselves with their words. Mm-hmm. It's an inside job. Shadow work is, is, most of that is, from my perspective, is an inside job. I mean, who has shit talked me more than me? Nobody. <laughs> well, you add this drinking game in with it, and now I'm I'm just getting confusing. So we'll see where this ends up. <laughs> but I, I love that you talk about breathing and the rhythms of your body because communicating is like giving and receiving, which are the physical manifestations of our breath patterns. So when we're communicating, we're giving and we're not breathing and taking in something for ourselves, I can see how that has us upregulating. And could you explain up upregulating or that state of upregulation? Sure, glad to. So when I say upregulation, I mean sympathetic nervous system response. I mean a stress response as opposed to downregulation, which is rest and digest, feed and breed, parasympathetic nervous system response everything's cool okay sympathetic mm-hmm. response is everything's not cool a parasympathetic response is everything's cool how i remember i've said it i've talked about it so much i i, I get it now and when i was initially talking about this subject material i would remember the difference between the two at because it's kind of weird language parasympathetic it's a parachute and it's just descending down. Thank you for that. Okay. Sympathetic. You think, oh, it's there. There's sympathy. Okay. Someone's feeling, feeling for someone. No, it's not. So, uh, in, in the enlifted coaches community, we have a, a saying, good breathing equals good coaching. Now, what is good breathing? Good breathing is low and slow. You want your breath low and slow as opposed to high and rapid. High chest breathing, rapid high chest breathing, that's, that's, that's like the most uncomfortable thing ever. And that's where most people reside or most people's breathing resides. 
and through I'm a you know we have a we have a couple of companies based around language and story work and if pushed not even pushed just just nudged maybe even just tickled I'll breathing is more important work on your breath folks work on your breath do the breathe do there's a variety of different breathing methodologies you know, rebirthing pranayama uh Wim Hof uh XPT I think that's uh Laird Hamilton's. There's a lot of type in breath work. Watch what happens. Art of breath. Develop your breathing mechanics. Get your breath back down where it where it's supposed to be, which is in your abdomen. And guess what's going to happen? The best shit that you can possibly imagine is going to happen. You're going to feel much more comfortable in your own skin. And when you feel more comfortable in your own skin. You know who else feels more comfortable in their own skin? Everybody around you. Mm. Jessica, have you ever been on a, out on a date when, with someone and they're like all tight and nervous and rigid? And... I'm sure I have. <laughs> yeah. What was that like? It makes me tight and rigid. Just mm -hmm. you doing that right now. I feel they're constricted. They're, 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 they're loose, they're relaxed, they're there, they're present, they're fun to talk to, they're good listeners. It's yeah. the exact opposite, you know? I've, dating, you wanna, be, you wanna be fun to go on a date with? Go on a date and breathe well. You wanna be a, 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 a prick to go on a date with? Go on a date and, and hold your breath and be nervous, okay? Because guess what? When someone breathes in their upper chest, it's called amygdala hijack. Look it up. Your ability to listen goes way down. Okay? Mm. It's like walking to a brick wall. When someone says that, we've all had conversations with someone or at least talked to someone who's very emotional. I mean, actually, you can't talk to them. It's, you're, you're listening to a, a monologue. It's not a dialogue. And, and the breath up here, bad listening. Breath down here, great listening. I'm a professional speaker. I'm a professional speaking coach. 80% of the time, the first thing that we talk about when it comes to presentation skills is reducing your rate of speech by roughly 20% so you can breathe better. Hmm. That's interesting because that's not at all, and I get it, that is not at all what I was taught early on in the, in the era of internet marketing, which is fast, punchy, no pauses, keep their attention, energy high. But I do notice that about you. You, you speak slower, but it also has me leaning in and listening and waiting. And also I match your breathing pattern. That's another thing. Often when I listen to these internet marketers and they're talking fast and punchy, lots of great information, I find myself going, like I need to take a breath. Good job. Thank you. But I'm still going to take a drink because I'm enjoying this. <laughs> so my reply to that is great. If they're doing that on purpose, if that's their conversation style on purpose and they're getting the results that they want from their audiences, wonderful. 
wonderful. For me, uh, I choose to speak this way. And I've chosen to speak this way for so long that I don't have to choose to speak this way anymore. I say less, I get more done, I feel better mm-hmm. in my body. Uh, I like it personally because the cadence, when, it, when we're talking about speaking, cadence is so important. Pauses are so important. Inflection is so fucking important. And if I'm speaking at a machine gun rate, I essentially throw away all of my access to exploring those things. I'm going to be doing this for a long time. I'm 13 years in. I have 37 years to go. I've got all the time in the world in one sense. What do I mean by that? About 10 years in, I've been doing, again, story work full-time professionally for 13 years, researching, presenting, and coaching. 10 years in, I said, fuck it, I'm in. I'm in for 50 years. I don't know many people that have done anything for 50 years. I want to know what that feels like to do something full-time professionally for 50 years. What does that level of mastery and skill feel like? I'm going to find out. Okay, how do I make this as real as possible right now? Let me get on my calendar. So I do. And I scroll out to January 17th, 2057. And I write on my calendar, that's the day I give my last presentation. I'll be 80 years old. I'm 44 now. I started when I was 30 to 30 in 2007. And when I put that, you know, talk about spells. You know what the definition of spells, a spell is, everybody? A word or a combination of words of great influence. We're casting spells for better and for worse all day, every day. When I put that spell into my calendar, some part of me just... Completely relaxed into me and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and what I'm going to do and how long I'm going to do it for. And I just, I straight committed, never ever committed to anything like this in my life. And uh, yeah, so I have, I can afford to talk slow, I can afford to relentlessly repeat myself. I also need to save some gas, okay, for, for the absolute longest game that I can think of. This is my third podcast of the day. This is what I do. I do this all day long because I'm curious. At the end of the day, I'm curious. You ever heard that saying? Most people know the first part. They don't know the second part. Hmm. Curiosity killed the cat. But the cat killed, this is a guess, I don't know. <laughs> Did I get a little bit right? Curiosity killed the cat. Satisfaction brought him back. Oh, that's nice. So you're turning into the old Japanese man who cuts noodles for 100 years. 
I always wondered what that guy had that made him so happy cutting noodles, fermenting beans his whole life. There's just a contentment like you'd explained that, okay, I'm going to be doing this for 50 years. I'm super stoked on that. How do you commit yourself to something like that? Okay. Um, so I was on the level two graduation call on Wednesday. We were talking about parenting and kids celebrating wins. And I said, get a notebook and allocate it. Allocate a notebook for each of your children. Okay. You got three kids, get three notebooks. And in those notebooks, celebrate their wins as in write them down and what that's going to do it's going to build a winning identity for your kid child little human being you're going to architect you're going to engineer an identity that well that focuses on winning and doing a good job and celebrating doing a good job. I used to I used to celebrate my losses. What do I what do you mean, Mark? What do you mean you used to celebrate your losses? I mean focus on my losses, relentlessly focus on my losses and shit talk myself to try to get a better response out of myself. I was celebrating my losses, which means I'm a loser. You celebrate your wins, you focus on your wins, that means you're a winner. You're mm -hmm. practicing something. Guess what, folks? We're practicing versions of ourselves all day long. The identity, the, de the current Webster's definition of identity, we did a TEDx talk about this, is the fact of being who or what a person is. We are not factual. Jessica, I guarantee you see yourself differently now than when you were five years old. I do too. So does everybody listening to this. Our identities are not facts. They're not static. They are ongoing, fluid, flexible processes. And we participate in those ongoing fluid flexible processes with our words. We do that all day long. So on top of telling, advising, if you have kids or you have clients that have kids, get a notebook, celebrate their wins, pay attention to what they pay attention to. There's only a few things, there's a handful of things that, have, that hold my attention. Martial arts is one, story work is another. So after 10 years of me being captivated, enchanted, spookily, that's not a word, I'm using it anyway. Uh, like it. Just, a relent, uh, just the, this, this relentless ability to stay focused on this work. I said, I don't need to see anything. I don't need one more, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. It took me 10 years to get there and then I'm in. And part of me relaxed. So I don't, I don't have to think about work anymore. I don't have to think about what I'm gonna do anymore. I'm either going to do 50 years of this work uh, or I'm gonna go out trying. I don't care. I said, <laughs> I said this to one of our coaches the other day and it, it just, you can see the look on his face and it's true. I promise you when I say this, 
I don't care if a thermonuclear warhead is about to land on my nose. I'm doing story work sessions. I'm doing the podcast. I'm answering the emails. I'm selling the courses. I'm creating the courses, doing my part of this. Like th th those questions are answered. I do not have those questions. They do not reside in my consciousness or subconscious at all. It's over. So what's at the end of all of this? What do you want to make obsolete in 50 years or? Me. I want to make me obsolete. I want to put myself out of business. I want to extinguish the victim mentality off the face of the earth. Because it's the biggest joke in the world. It's the biggest lie ever told. What does the world look like without the victim mentality? Because you're changing culture now. You're changing language. If this all goes as you expect, we're going to live in a very, very different experience. Yeah, it's going to be Star Trek. It's going to be Star Trek. Um, technology is here to say, oh, that's a, real, that's a real genius thing to say, Mark. Well, no shit. Um, <laughs> And so I look at I look at Star Trek, and I'm like, cool. They're they got the gadgets, they got the gear. They're on a spaceship flying around, shooting stuff and zigging and zagging over asteroids and having adventures. And they're warm. They have their emotions. They have their feelings. You know, you got, you got you know, the, there's all kinds of everything's going on. You got they're, they're they're still kissing and hooking up and having fun and stuff like that. And you know. Uh, they're alive. And then you got the Borg, which is what we get if the victim mentality is left unchecked, in my estimation. Because the, victim the uh, victims, they need saviors. They have to have them. They seek them unconsciously. They, the victims have to have villains and they have to have saviors. So the villain will be whatever fucking flavor of the month the villain is. Mm -hmm. And then the savior will be uh, a big tech omniscient government, one world. And the Borg, the Borg is not sexy. Mm. The Borg is like, Hmm. The Borg is. He just drank everybody. I witnessed some soft the talk. The most unsexy shit that's ever happened ever in the history of history. They're tan. They have no tan. They've got cords coming out of their neck. They don't dance. There's no fun. It's just sterile sterility. And they're just, they're, they're farmed. And it is literally the worst case scenario for merging man and machine that's what we get and we're at the precipice mm. we're, 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 at a, we're at a crossroads and it could be an even split it could be part of humanity goes this way and part of humanity goes that way I, I Jessica I really don't know how those things are going to play out okay all I know is that the uh, the more people that are cognizant, aware, and, and 
let's just say it excited about using their language in more con uh, uh, um, clear and focused, constructive ways, first and foremost, for their self conversation. This, this work folks is it's like a it's a it's a it's one of the uh, it's, it's the mask in the plane that drops down. Make sure your mask is securely fastened before you help someone else with theirs. You know, we're seeing a lot of that right now, mm. uh, socially speaking. A lot of people trying to help other people with their masks, <laughs> no pun intended, COVID, uh, uh, before other people, before they've got theirs securely fastened. And what I found is like, is I've got so much work to do on myself. That's where, that's where my greatest leverage lies. Talk about shadow work. Okay, I'm gonna go out and try to get someone else to change. No, change yourself. Change yourself. It's trust me, it takes an act of Congress to change yourself. To create change and stabilize change. Because anybody can change for a weekend. The pros are the ones that stabilize the change. It's a commitment. It takes work and dedication. Big time. Big time. And you know what's, you know how to make that so much easier, folks? Get around friends that are doing the same thing. That's a game changer. Leveled up friends are a game changer. Leveled up friends, leveled up boyfriends, leveled up girlfriends, leveled up (laughs) uh, parties, leveled up communities. Leveled up businesses, you know, you, and you know what, folks, you don't need many. You get three, four, five friends that are a gangster about personal development like you are. That's all you need. That's all you need. And then throw a party and invite other people. Just, it's, it's, it's oh, so easy. It's fun. <laughs> right. Cheers to that. So when we're talking about story work, you're talking about language shaping your reality. And we haven't really gotten into what story work is, which I want you to talk about in a sec, because you have an amazing free weekly Facebook group that I haven't been able to go to lately just because the one CrossFit box that's in this whole region has one class at five, so I can't go to it, but I do watch the recordings. Oh, very cool. So on language shaping reality, they've done studies in terms of time and color. I'll give the color example because it's easier for me to explain. There's evidence that a person doesn't perceive a color until the vocabulary that they have distinguishes a meaning that sets it apart from the other colors. So if the only color that somebody, uh, only word that they know for green is green, then all they perceive is the general shade of green, as opposed to the Irish, I'm not sure if this is accurate, but I'd heard this before, that there are many different words for green, many different shades of green. Therefore, they perceive different flavors of green. The same could go for the snow example. I'm from LA. The only word that I know for snow is snow. It's the stuff that falls from the sky at Big Bear. You go there once a year. But living in Canada here, now I've learned about freezing rain, there's sleet, there's fresh snow, there's snowbank, there's blizzard, whiteout, all of these different words for snow that 
now my reality is less limited because I'm able to perceive these different varieties of snow compared to where I was in California where my vernacular was limiting me to one word. So in terms of shadow work and language, we might inherently feel an emotion, but we don't have a word to explain it. So we just put it under the heading of another emotion. And that makes things tricky because, well, when you don't drive, you don't drive in freezing rain the same way you would in snow flurries, right? Which is why I designed the Shadow Work Library as a library so that when I'm done, there will be a resource out there that just lives on the internet that gives a comprehensive list of emotions and so, and what one might want to do with that. So instead of feeling just angry, you can scroll down, you can see I'm feeling opinionated, I'm feeling inferior, I'm feeling isolated, I'm feeling sacrificing, controlling, manipulative, et cetera, et cetera. And the same goes for more high vibrational feelings, like instead of feeling, shit, soft talk. <laughs> instead of feeling happy, you understand that you feel vitality or free or inspired or strong and that's why I was really, really, am, and I'm really excited to have you on today. It's because language is probably the biggest component of shadow work and the reason why I put this out there. And I'm feeling as if it's going to be something that I'm going to dedicate myself to for a very long time because it lights me up and it is so important. And I want to make the victim mentality obsolete, hopefully in less than 50 years, because I don't think I have that in me, but <laughs> that's what it takes. The word, pun intended, is getting out, Jessica. It's so much easier. Of course, I've gotten better at talking about this stuff over the years. And, and then also, it's, just, it's so much easier to talk about this stuff. People are, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. People are, it's much easier to get people or for people to get themselves excited about story work, changing their mm -hmm. story. So what? What is story work? Story work is you, me, anyone listening. It's a process of becoming more of the observer of your story. And looking at the how instead of the why. Why am I so fucked up? Why am I so insecure? Why is that person treating me this way? Why, 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 why? Okay, why is it laid out? It's overdone, it's burnt. How, on the other hand, in my opinion, is a much more interesting and sophisticated and objective and practical, as in it, it can be practiced, conversation. How am I telling myself the story that I'm not good enough? How am I telling myself the story that no one will ever really love me? How am I talking myself out of opportunity? Well, first things first, folks, the lowest hanging fruit in story work is to pick up the pen and write out the stories conversation. Don't write about the stories, write out the stories. As in, 
I can I write out the story, I hand it to Jessica, she reads it out loud. It's a story. It's everybody will understand it. She can read it. It's 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 conversational. Ninety-seven percent of the population. This is coming from a thirty-year study on goal setting from Harvard and Yale. Thirty percent of the population. What am I saying? Three percent of the population. Only three percent of the population has any written goals down. You write down half a sentence on a cocktail napkin. You're now in that three percent. Congratulations. I know, right? <laughs> I've got some hot bay here too. Oh, thanks. Yeah, glad you noticed. <laughs> uh, most people don't write down their goals. Okay. I remember more than once in high school when uh, I handed in a rough draft. Did you ever do that? Hand in a rough draft by mistake so or on purpose? me. You're like, oh, by mistake? No, I mean, I, I did it on purpose. <laughs> I haven't done that on purpose. Gribbled something out the night before, maybe in the parking lot the day of. I handed in a rough draft, and I got the grade I got. Usually it was somewhere between the, the D and the uh, Also, there were times when I didn't hand anything at all. I got a zero. As far as goals are concerned, most people – don't even have a draft. It's the same thing when it comes to the stories that haunt them. A story written out, pick up a pen, even if it feels 500 pounds, and write out the story, write out the stories that have plagued you, that have haunted you, that every time you think about them, they tighten up from the butthole, your, 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 your butthole all the way up, puckered. I butthole chakra. It's true. And, and, the difference between in your ability to navigate the story in the language, the difference between having a story in your head, which is seemingly infinite, swirling around, there's a flash of the, the picture there, it comes around and kicks you in the teeth here, and then it's gone, and oh, what do I do with it? Which is when stories are kept up here, most people revert to either running from them or fighting them. Both of those are losing battles. Pick up the pen and write it down. Once it's written down, it goes from seemingly infinite to finite. From there, you've given yourself perspective. You've literally given yourself distance from whatever, you know, from your eyes down to the page. Maybe that's two feet. You've now got some, some distance. There's a little breathing. It's more man. It's a thousand times more manageable. And then, if you study the how of storytelling, you can start to change the way that you tell the story. You can slow down your rate of speech while you're telling it, okay? You can take breaths at each punctuation. That's going to further downregulate you, which, as I believe I said this before, as the breath descends down into the abdomen, the periphery opens up. When the breath is trapped in the upper chest, we've got tunnel vision. It's locked. It's locked on that pixelated image of what happened and what, what happened means about us. Because there's our interpretation of what happens, and then there's the meaning we assign. And if we want to change the interpretation and the meaning that we assign to it, then uh, 
that there is no better way, generally speaking, than to pick up a pen and write out what happened. And then from there, the more you know about language, you can start taking out soft talk, you can start trans, uh, uh, changing projections to reflections. You can see the negations. You turn it into a game. Done well, we, we did. I'll just, I'll give us credit. We gamified this thing. We made it cool. And we did it in tracksuits. I can talk about tracksuits. I can talk about pirates. I can talk about MMA on top of language. <laughs> I want to talk to you all night. I'm sure you have other things to do, though, so I guess I can't do that. How are you for time? What time is it? Six. Oh, six. I can go to seven. Yay. Okay, great. Let me just get myself a refill here. Gosh, I can go through these things like crazy. So Jennifer McMaster, your recent student who is on our team, she's also co-authoring a course called Grace and Grit with me and Dr. Danielle McGinnis. She did some story work with me while we were in Sobble Beach doing some kiteboarding. Sitting on the beach, wasn't expecting a therapy session, but I just had this problem with getting immigration in Canada. I'm having a difficult time understanding if I want to be here full time because you have to stay in the country for an extended period of time while the application is being processed. And with everything going on right now, all the offices are closed. And so it just takes a very long time. And I thought that that was my problem. Her second class into your certification, she said, let's do some story work. It'd be helpful if I had a pen and paper, but we're just going to riff right now. She was so good. I was in tears in five minutes, by the way. Found out that it, all of this whittled down. We discovered my, my storylines. I had three in there. She told me to choose the one that felt most visceral, and it was about my parents. Did I do some soft talk there? <laughs> giving her um, a good job nod in my head. Oh, okay. This rule. That's called put the gorilla on the table. She crushed. My visceral reaction was the storyline with my parents. I feel guilty for not being in Arizona because I remember being a kid. I told my parents they're going to live on my property and we're going to have this existence and I was committed to it and I'm still committed to it, but my reality has changed a little bit. And what I want is to not necessarily live in Arizona where they live now. And she gave me a choice to make one action item to choose one action item or to continue to feel this way. And my action item was so simple. I just need to call my mom and have this conversation. My parents don't want me to be unhappy. They told me, don't live in Arizona. This is not the place where you <laughs> need to live. But still, I was holding on to this idea, this promise that I made them when I was younger. And all it takes is a phone call. So if my mom's listening right now, mom, I haven't called you yet, but I need to. <laughs> Chances are good, mom. You're going to get a phone call about it. Mm-hmm. It was great stuff. I feel really good about that conversation. And I was shocked at how quickly I got from the logical brain trying to make decision upregulated by all the options to crying on the beach, laughing, crying, because I was so excited about this new methodology that we're going to adopt. Good. Please take it and share it far and wide. It helps people feel what they need to feel. 
It helps people feel what they need to feel all the way through. Joseph Campbell said it. He said, any feeling felt all the way through is bliss. So, yeah, I tell stories from time to time. And the certs included. And uh, as far as stories that that hurt, I've got, uh, I've got a story about that. So, well, let me ask you a question first. Do you have any friends that are strangely gifted with the ability to eat hot peppers? That's me. Really? Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. I grew up with hot peppers being a comfort food. <laughs> Never heard that one before. You got I'm me. Korean. It's we eat soup so hot. You live in Thailand. You know this. So hot that you're sweating, eating like this, patting your forehead, and that makes me happy. I met him in Thailand. <laughs> His name's Brian Olson. That's not the name I was expecting. No, he got red hair <laughs> from all the hot peppers. Good friend. I haven't spoken to him in years. And he could just eat hot peppers. Like, those little rat and shit peppers over in, 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 in Thailand with the red and greens. They're really hot. He just, like that. Like that. He told me this story once. He's sitting on a stone wall down in Jamaica. Chewing on a flat bonnet pepper and this jamaican dude walks by with, with dreads and goes pepper burns twice boy i thought about it and when he told me that i said buddy you're right there is a lesson there if i've ever heard one pepper burns twice you eat a hot ass bowl of Korean soup, go eat some, you know, five out of five flaming star level uh, sumtum in Thailand, Carolina ghost peppers, whatever. And guess what? It's burning going in. It's burning coming out. That's the best part. <laughs> and it's the same it's the same thing with our stories, folks. They burn going in and they burn coming out. It's emotional going in. It's emotional when it happens. And it's emotional when you extract these stories and feel them all the way through. And on the other side is the lesson. Story work is, goes hand in hand with personal evolution. It's, it, 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 it absolutely requires courage. Courage and bravery. I hang out with brave people all day long. You know, whether they're, most of the people I'm friends with are, you know, so committed, committed 
so committed, balls deep, I'll say it, in personal development, it's the new cool. It's the new map. The victim, the victim mentality is going to become uncool. All right, I'm casting spells. The victim mentality is going to become uncool. It's going to become very, very, very uncool. Because it is retarded. And I say that using the Webster's definition of the word retarded, which is to impede the development of. The victim mentality retards you. My victim mentality retards me. It impedes, it slows the development of, my, of me psychologically speaking. It impedes the development of me emotionally speaking. It impedes the development of me spiritually speaking. It even impedes the development of me physically speaking. And it is excruciating, excruciatingly reliable in that way. It's a, it's a, it's just, it's a kick in the nuts. It's a kick in the badge. It's 2020. Everybody gets, everybody's, everybody's in the conversation. It's, it's horrible. And there's a formula to it. Have I recited the definition of the victim mentality? No. I'm holding out. It's not because it's wrong. I'm going to take a little bit out of the middle. Mm -hmm. The freedom definition of the victim mentality. It is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence, the victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. That second sentence is right between the eyes, right where it belongs. The victim mentality depends, as in it has to have a habitual thought process. Habitual accurately implies duration, and addiction. I was addicted to my victim mentality. Coming off of it, there were certain times where I would lay in bed. I looked like Ray. Remember the movie Ray? You ever see that? Jamie mm -hmm. Foxx by Ray Charles at the very end where he's lying in bed, sweating, shaking. I, I've done that. Coming off of my identity as a fighter. Mm rough that's what I, it is yeah i imagine that's what heroin coming off a of heroin cold looks like sweating the bed through that's how much we get addicted to our identities because when you change your narrative you're killing who you thought you were i associated all of my problems to my i'm speaking hypothetically now to my problems with my absent dad or my abusive mom. And then once you rewrite your story and you consider maybe it's not, maybe it's me now. Maybe it's me. That kills everything that I thought about myself, about my situation. And I have to rewrite my, who's, who am I now? I mean, what is identity? It, you said it. See, it's worse than that. It's worse than, it's that and worse than that. Mm. What, do you, what do you mean, worse than that? 
What do you mean worse than that, Mark England? When someone reinvents themselves. When someone changes their identity consciously, because guess what? It's, there's an unconscious process. It's just, when someone consciously goes in and changes their identity on some fundamental level, they're they're going from the question of who am I to what am I? Mm. Am I Mark England? Or am I the ability to create the story of Mark England? Those are two different things. It's very powerful. It's, it's, I, I get lost in the question. It's, it's. Sorry, give me one sec. I need to kick my dog out. He's having a fit. <laughs> Do you want to see him? Yeah, he's rad. He's so cool, but he's a little bitch right now. Wants to play. Out, 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 out. There's a difference between those two questions. Who am I? What am I? And when I, I have, I've done it. I'll do it again. Reinvent myself. If that's, if that wasn't me, then what am I? I want to know myself as a process. I find that much more interesting. I mean, in, infinitely much more interesting because if I'm a process, then I am connected to all other processes. If I'm the story of Mark England, then I'm separate. We're talking about an existential crisis and an existential answer. We're talking about supreme separation or absolute connectivity, absolute connection. And it can be, you know, I'm, I'm simple. I really am. I, I, I talk a big game and I'm a simple dude. The victim mentality has to be birthed out of some core idea of, of separation. And we're not. Separation from yourself and your identity or separation from the other in terms of your identity? You know, they talk, they talk about community being one of the best antidotes to addiction. What about connection to nature, connection to the universe? I have, I have to make myself connection prone. The victim mentality makes people disconnection I want to ask you a personal question. Oh, it's fucking dog. <laughs> you are a master of language. You're on your way to becoming a master. Y'all don't become masters in 10 years, but I know you're close to it. Although I know you have a long way to go and I don't want to take that title away from you when you're 80 and you can really- I'll get there, I'll get there in the next 50 years. I'll get, I'll get there in the next 37 years. We'll just awesome. 
to your average person, you're a language master. Do you, when you're in conflict and you're really trying to cut deep, I don't know if you do that, but let's say you do. Do you use negations and your all of your conflict language consciously to evoke those negative emotions? Rarely have I ever won an argument that I thought I won. Tell me more about that. You hurt somebody, they remember it. You know, you 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 win an argument and make someone else look bad. You just drove that nail or splintered deep. And there it shall reside. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. You know, some of the most profound things I've ever said are, is, are the things I've never fucking said. You know, the pick and choose your battles. I mean, rarely have I won an argument that I thought I won. It's that simple. People, re people remember how you feel. People remember how you make them feel. There's a quote about that. I think it was Maya Angelou or something along those lines. And that's true. And 95% um, of the time, I'd rather shut my mouth and digest it. It's just, it's my style at the moment. And I'm conflict averse. Hmm. Turns out, like, I'd rather laugh, have a constructive conversation, but uh, I, I play a good game. It's not the language. Uh, I'm a, I'm, I got a hard edge. I'm a big softy, and I, I like that. I like that about me. It's it's a fun way to be. Oh, I love that. What would you say is your shadow work practice for you at the moment? How do you find things in your unconscious that you'd like to work on? Oh, that's easy. Smiling and breathing. Smiling and breathing. Tell me more about the smiling. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we, it, our stories are, are, are our own. Uh, our languages are, we can, we can do all kinds of things with them. You can write down a story, you, you can say it. You can say it slow. You can say it with breath. Then you can say it with a robot voice. Mm, no one was ever there for me. Oh my God. <laughs> He's always disrespecting me. You're such a fucking weird guy, Marking. I'll, I'll, I'll never be good enough. You can, you can, you can do it. <laughs> my MP said that I was just. It locked the way I smelled. I mean, like, you could. We have so much room for creativity with the way we tell ourselves stories. And I look, I look at things mechanically, mechanistically. Is that even a word? I don't give a fuck if it's a word or not. And I'm like, okay, well, if I've been doing that and, and I've had a face like this and my breathing was like this and my body was like this, then I'm going to go do that thing and I'm going to open up and breathe and I'm going to put a smile on my face and I'm going to erase that thing. I'm going to bump up into some information. The whole, it all comes down to information. 
you know, there's a saying. <laughs> this, this puts, uh, might as well talk about epigenetics. I mean, since we're there. Uh, <laughs> so natural. What is it, Friday night party? <laughs> epigenetics. Epi, meaning above or before, and genetics is genetics. Okay, look that one, folks. Epigenetics. Because guess what? You inherited more from your parents than your eye color. If, here's, the, here's the quote. If you shake the etch-a-sketch hard enough, you break the family curse. I'm going to say that again. If you shake the etch-a-sketch hard enough, you break the family curse. Your parents' breeding patterns massively informed your breeding patterns. Your parents' thought patterns massively informed your thought patterns. Your parents' emotional patterning massively informed your emotional patterning. Let's make this even that much easier to understand. Your parents' eating habits informed your eating habits. So when you go on that quest of changing anything about yourself, you're bumping up in you're bumping up against more than just yourself. You're bumping up against family history. So give yourself a fucking pass, ladies and gentlemen. Give yourself a pat on the back for even wanting to try to do that stuff. Give yourself a pat on the back for incarnating at a time when you had the opportunity to do it. We're living in the greatest time ever. I don't care what anyone says. I'll argue that forever. You had to have what? 30 minutes. Are we talking about tracksuits? Tracksuits. Well, one more serious question, but I'm not assuming that the tracksuit is not going to be a serious question, but you need to get into some of the deep stuff. Actually, I feel like we covered everything, honestly. Um, let me just check my notes here because I had so much. I've been thinking about this interview for weeks now because I just respect your weird brain. Yeah, my last question on shadow or uh, on story work, where do you find most people get stuck when they do story work and they need a little bit of help? They get stuck at not writing it down. It's that first step. Why would somebody not want to write it down? Because it's scary. There's some part of us that's, like, oh, God, I don't want to go feel that. Because I know if I write it down, the feels are coming. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to own that. Sure as shit don't want anyone to come across this notebook at some point in time and read what I wrote. I mean, the answers are, there's a variety of legitimate arguments for not writing it down, for keeping it inside. And they're all, well, what they are. Write it down. You want a hardcore practice, folks? Write down verbatim the worst thoughts that you have in your mind about yourself. You want a shadow work practice? Do that. Sometimes you're really spooky. Watch what happens. Some folks have even gone so far as to call me strange. Oh yeah, we've gone way past strange. We've gone into pirate territory.
So that's another question I have for you on pirates, naturally. You study pirate history, of course. I do. How, have you adopted any pirate language for yourself and I, or the ways that they communicated? And are you teaching it to the masses? <laughs> the people need to know. I have not adopted any pirate language. The, the way the English language was used uh, in the golden age of piracy, which was late 1600s to early 1700s, was, it would be almost unrecognizable to us. What I have adopted is the philosophy. They were the best storytellers. They were the first internationally recognized brand, which is the Jolly Roger, which is the skull and crossbones. You could raise that flag anywhere around 1720, anywhere on the seven seas, and everyone knew what the fuck that meant. That's they did that. They were that 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 happened because they were such effective storytellers. They yes, they at times they were ruthless. They were marauders. They wrecked shit. That was actually a very small percentage of the time because um, that came at a cost. Pirates were the first people. Now you gotta understand there's a, there's a very slight difference between privateering and piratehood. Mm. Privateering was government sanctioned looting of other ships. Pirateering was non-government sanctioned looting of other ships. And so a lot of people are like, well, you know, if I'm going to go risk my ass to go steal all this shit and go take it back to the crown, why don't I just do it for myself? And get, I'm going to, I'm going to steal all this shit, take it back to the crown and get paid nothing. Why don't I just go do this for myself? Okay, I am so, initiative gives me a hard on that. I love that stuff. Regardless of just people that go after things, it's, most people are consumers. Stop being such a consumer. Go after what you want. Stop asking for permission. Okay? Better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. So pirates, and they had to have their backs. They had no backing. You want to talk about, you want to talk about courage. They created their own code, the pirate code. The brethren of the sea created their own pirate code. And it was as fair as anything that has ever been written down and, and implemented, okay? And actually, the, the pirate code influenced the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. So the pirate code, it, it, they were the first people to enact workers' compensation. If you lost a finger, during battle, you got paid X amount of, of pieces of eight. If you lost an arm, same X amount, pieces of eight. That's how they measured 
uh, coinage, uh, leg, eye, whatever. So what they wanted to do was to scare the crap out of whoever they were uh, coming up on, take their stuff with no violence. That's exactly what they wanted. Mm. Because if they engaged in a skirmish and a bunch of their people got wrecked, they had to pay out. And now they've got all these injured people on deck. Okay? You know what else? You know what else they were cool with? If the whole thing was based on a meritocracy, which is the exact opposite of identity politics. Identity politics can go smoke a fucking fat one, as far as I'm concerned. Okay? Because it's wrong. It's, it just boxes people in and makes them act a certain way. And it's, it's, it's horrible. It's used as a control system. It's not about the people that it's talking to. It's about the people that want what they want. The people that buy into identity politics, they are used as pawns. Mm. A meritocracy is you will be judged. You will be valued by your skill set. Okay. And they didn't give a shit. If you were white, black, green, or yellow, roughly 35%, 35 to 50% of the pirate crews in the day were black. Anyone else they didn't care about? Gay marriage. They didn't care what you did as long as you were good at what you did. Wow. Mad respect for pirates. Oh my gosh. Mad respect for pirates. Mad respect for pirates. My father started flying a pirate flag. I didn't say a damn thing to him. He, he started flying a pirate flag at the farm 10 years ago. And he's still flying that flag. And Dude. did he have that same idea of understanding of the pirate code and what they stood for? He's a hillbilly pirate. He That's badass. He was, a, he was a badass football player. Athletic. He got a scholarship. Otherwise, it was going to be coal mining. No thanks. He started his own... Uh, chain of convenience stores, got a scholarship because he played ball and he had a good work ethic. Yeah, go, go, good fun. Go, go, go find a good story about a lazy pirate. <laughs> he started a, a chain of convenience stores in Richmond, Virginia in the 1970s and 80s when interest rates were 22%. And the dude was gangster. What's your dad's name? Tom. Tom England. Tom Wayne. Long live Tom Wayne. Long live Tom Wayne. And he was all about it. He was all about, he was all about it. Sawed off shotguns and cash. So <clears throat> how would the pirates of yesteryear be employed today, you think? Herbalife ref, online marketing guru, They'd be doing their, they would, they would be small business owners. They would be the innovators. They would be the mavericks. They would be, they would be changing something. I want to give a shout out to how to be more pirate. Hold that thought. <laughs> it is recommended it's not recommended it's not required it's required reading for our uh, level one coaches be more pirate mm. or how to take on the world and win 
I'd rather be a pirate than join the Navy. <laughs> okay, it has a Steve Jobs quote on it. So yeah. Can I read you some more quotes? Yes, please. And by the way, I knew that you were inserting your piracy into this course. I just knew it. For 30 years, I've sailed the seas, and I've never, never seen good come from, oh, goodness, yet. Him as strikes first in my fancy. Dead men don't fight. Them's my views. Amen. So be it. Israel hands, which was Israel hands was the, that's kind of a weird quote, the weird, the weird language. Israel hands was the uh, right hand man of Edward Teach. Edward Teach, Blackbeard. Blackbeard sailed the Chesapeake and his, 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 his hideout was down at uh, Ocracoke Island on the, the north, the, the outer banks of North Carolina. I grew up going down there. While you're looking for the next one, Mark, do you think that you have any piracy in your, piracy, I don't think that's pirate. Do you have any pirate in your ancestry? I'd be shocked if I didn't. So here's a good one. Relative. The average man will bristle if you say his father was dishonest, but he will brag a little if he discovers that his great-great-grandfather was a pirate. <laughs> Bernard Williams. So my dad, his family line, Irish, from the mountains, coal mining mountains of Virginia. My mother's family line, Kainz and Krentz, they were German. And they were master boatsmiths. They had a... Uh, a marina on the Comico River, which is a tributary to the Chesapeake Bay. And they made something called skipjacks. A skipjack is a flat bottom boat, which is ideal for oyster dredging in shallow water. And they made the very best skipjacks in the Delmarva Peninsula. People from Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, and North Carolina would come and buy skipjacks from my mother's line it's somewhere in there has to i'd be. also be surprised if it wasn't as well in my lineage we on the korean side i don't know too much about the webster side maybe we wrote the dictionary who knows wouldn't that be a fun thing to talk about i should probably check that out on the korean side we have medicine people medicine men and women okay and I've always been drawn to alternative forms of medicine. And I know that you had mentioned the hape that I'm snuffing at the moment. You're also in a combo, right? You're a combo facilitator. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. How does that fit into your pirate language world? I take responsibility for what I do to my body, for better and for worse. And I also trust in the fact that my body learns, it can learn and develop itself in a variety of ways that completely outclass my conscious mind. So combo is, now I make these statements and assertions 
as, as a layman. I'm a simple man with average intelligence. Combo is a medicine, quote unquote medicine. Should I even fucking say that? Combo is a substance from the Amazon jungle basin, which is a, it comes from a secretion off of, a, of a, the back of a frog. And it's the, the, the giant pygmy frog. It's green, massive, big bug eyes. It's the perfect kind of beautiful, spooky, beautiful. Nothing fucks with it. Because if anything bites that thing, it's wrecked. Not dead, just wrecked. And as the, as the story goes, um, a shaman named Kampu had a tribe that was sick. And he tried everything he knew to do. Nothing but. He goes into the jungle and prays. And has a vision. The guy has a vision. Take this frog, scrape the venom off of it, make burns on your tribe members, apply the venom, and it's going to expel the sickness, the illness. So we did, and it worked. And it then became a part of the culture. They would use it for dealing with illness. They would use it for enhancing their, their prowess as hunters. And, you know, it's debatable, 70s, 80s, 90s. People trekking into the jungle started, white white guys, white girls, white guys, biologists, sociologists, started coming out with stories of this stuff. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's debatable who brought it out first. It was brought out from the jungle and people started using it. And people started using it and analyzing it. Now, in my layman's language, combo is an expectorant. Let me back up. The tribes used, they considered it to be a, something that would expel things physically and metaphysically. They had this, they have this story of something called panema, which is dark energy that accumulates around people's hearts. Mm. And the more of this panema that they uh, uh, accumulate, it keeps their heart rhythm out of the rhythms of, of, uh, of, of nature. And then chaos, disruption. It's like someone dancing with a bad rhythm ensues. And then Pombo breaks this stuff up and they puke it out. They purge it out. So anyway, 2014, and I, I believe him, I believe him. 2014, I meet Simon Scott, who is a British dude, super smooth, super cool, combo practitioner. I meet him in Costa Rica, and I 
2013, a friend of mine come back from Costa Rica and she'd had three dots on her sternum. I'm like, mm -hmm. what are those? She goes, it's combo. She told me what happened. She said it was horrible and then it was beautiful. Mm. And just, I filed that in the weird shit. I'll probably get in <laughs> one point in time. Oh. The junk drawer. I love that place. It's my favorite place to yeah. live. <laughs> so I meet this dude, Simon Scott, who's one of the premier combo practitioners on the planet. Comboclens.com. That's his website. And I meet him. I, I like, I see him walking down the hill. I like him immediately. I'm like, Who, who's that dude? And they're like, oh, that's the combo guy. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm doing combo. Do three days of combo. And uh, I've gone and seen him every year since for, for a three-day session. I started administering in 2015. Um, last year was a very busy year for me combo-wise as a, a practitioner. I had a website built. It was all I had to do was click a button and it was up. I'm like, you know what? No, no, <laughs> no. Just be the one trick pony, dude. Shout out to my director. He called me a one trick pony a long time ago. And I thought, wonderful. I'll be a one trick pony. I want to be a one trick pony. Let me do this one thing. Let me do this one thing real well for 50 years and let the chip fall where they may. So, um, combo is, it's magic. It's magic. It saves people. It, okay, let me back up. It is an extremely complex substance. Peptides, known and unknown. And somebody inserts it through, you got to burn the skin and then put it in, or put, a, put some on your skin and it goes into your system. It gives your immune system. This is me being a, dude, I'm a language geek, okay? I'm a former PE teacher. I'm a former MMA fighter. What the fuck do I know? It gives your immune system some a, a very complex problem to solve, okay? And it does so in a matter of an hour. And so you come out of it with a more sophisticated immune system. It builds people up, okay? Which goes... Back to what I was saying earlier, when you, you asked me about it, I, just, I, I trust my body to be able to learn. Okay, look at the studies of what happens when people who just were incessantly washing their hands and using antibacterial whatever. Okay, trying to rid the world of pathogens. It's the same thing as our language. I'm going to sterilize the language, trying to rid the world of of ways people can get offended. It's, it's, a, it's a recipe for fucking disaster. You need to, listen folks, you need to be offended. You need to be offended, you need to fail. Your parents aren't gonna say that to you, you do. Because that's how you learn, that's how you grow, that's how you look at that stuff and feel the thing all the way through. And I only say that because I care. Well, I actually had a note in here to ask you about political correctness, but I don't think we're going to get into that today. But that was on my agenda because 
you're in the business of shaping language, helping people elevate their language. And with that comes, you're not softening anything. You're a proponent for not including soft talk. And soft talk can often be seen as a way to be polite or to remove yourself or the other person from really grasping onto whatever you're saying. And I think the same goes, I think, shite. I'm doing pretty good though with the soft talk. You're doing much better than I thought you would. Thank you. <laughs> Shut up. So I have combo right here and I think that I will be. I know where you got that. You got that from combo. You got that from Simon Scott. Really? All this stuff, huh? Well, well that makes sense. That, that makes sense. Because I'm assuming you do, because that's the only person that I know of that sells the powder. Out of Sedona, right? Out of Sedona. Mm hmm. That's what I were doing when we, we cruised through there. I used to live in Sedona. Oh, look at that. They don't ship to Canada anymore, so I'm running out of my goods. And while I'm <laughs> unwrapping, <laughs> yeah, I do have something to say about political correctness. Great. Hate speech has got nothing on self-hate speech. I'm going to say that again. Hate speech has nothing on self-hate speech. You take care of self-hate speech and hate speech becomes a joke. It's a fucking joke. Because what you're trying to do with the remediation of self-hate, of, of hate speech is, is change the way someone else is so you feel better about yourself. It's weak. You can't buy into it if you don't believe it. Look at that. Combo friends. Cute. These little green jars. Magic. That's a shitload of combo. Look at this. Girl. <laughs> you do know how to tell a story well. You're even unwrapping this and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Oh, wow. This is what I Beautiful. That's beautiful. Who made that for you? A dude we're making a nap with. Hmm. Yeah, that's long past due. Well, getting into three minutes left on your timeline here, let's talk about tracksuits. Angelo Cisco. Oh my gosh. One of my favorite people ever. Angelo Sisko. Met him through Barbell Shrub. Liked the guy immediately. I accurately identified him as a fucking gangster. He once said on a podcast, and I quote him all the time for this, he was giving this analogy of being an ant. I don't even remember the context, but I just say this part. Nobody's going to step on me today. And I think about that sometimes. It's an Angeloism. <laughs> when I feel like I'm down and out, nobody's going to step on me today. Angelo Cisco invites me out to O'Hare CrossFit to do a, uh, a workshop with Brandon Powell, who I recommend having on your podcast. He's a 30-year friend of mine. He's the premier Wim Hof instructor instructor in North America. 
second degree Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt deep in the mushroom game. Happy to make the, the introduction. So Thank Brandon you. and I are going out to do a, a language and breath work workshop. I did Angela's landing page for this workshop. There you go. And I'm thinking to myself, how can I possibly go out to Chicago and do a workshop at Angelo Cisco's gym if I don't have a track suit? Because I, I, I haven't met him yet, Jessica. I'm just making this picture of him because he, he talks slow. He's kind of close to an Italian mobster. He's super Italian. Super Angelo Cisco, everybody. Angelo Cisco. His dad did time. He'll tell you about it. It doesn't matter. And <laughs> so I'm going out there. I'm like, how can I go out there and respect myself if I don't have a tracksuit? Because I'm thinking it's like gangster land out there. <laughs> this I this is a true fucking story. <laughs> One of the best things about my storytelling is that I only tell true stories. That's good. That's great to know. You're so interesting. <laughs> so I couldn't go to Chicago without a tracksuit, obviously. Some people have gone as far as to call me strange. I, so I'm thinking tracksuits. I'm like, let's go to Macy's. Let's give it a shot. Right. Macy's is the first place to go when you're looking for gangster attire. I'm, I'm from Virginia. I mean, what do you <laughs> So I go to I go to Macy's. I'm thinking I'll get a Adidas, a Reebok, maybe a Lacoste tracksuit. Remember the little chicken? If you're lucky. If yeah. I'm lucky, I didn't know. And I wandered accidentally into the brothers section, and I see this rack of tracksuits, and I'm like, that is so far out of the realm of what I was envisioning, that I have to try them all. <laughs> Were you and by I, yourself or did you have yeah, an entourage with you? I, I spend a majority of my time by myself. Okay, so this is an internal monologue. That's so far out, I must try these on. Sure. So I get this tracksuit, which is, I'll send you a picture of it next time I'm back in the, at the the farm. It's red with fake anaconda skin going down the outside mm. of the arms and the legs with a hood and a massive picture of Caesar on the back. Caesar who? Like Caesar, Caesar. Like the, the, Augustus? The, I, I guess. My, his, my, I only focus on pirate history. I, the only sport I follow in MMA, I only focus on pirate history, and I can talk about tracksuits, kind of. Okay. <laughs> so, I get a tracksuit, and I go in, and, and I try it on. And my life changed from then on out. The tracksuit was from Reason, reasonclothing.com. They're out of Brooklyn in New York. 
and I, I have I own three Reason track suits. For four, I've given away at least six. Chris Marhefka, Mike Bledsoe, Aiden Perez, Leo Savage. Keith Reynolds, Rick. I don't even know what Rick is. Keith Reynolds, right hand man. Rick, Rick. It's Rick from Paleo Effects. Angelo Cisco. I sent Angelo Cisco a Reason tracksuit. Aaron Janetti. I gave him the track <clears throat> the tracksuit off my back. Literally, it was cold outside. I was drunk. Couple other people I'm forgetting their well, names. Well, dude, you don't give any women your tracksuits? What is this? Well, they're all dude tracksuits. Okay. But I feel like the next person you're going to give a tracksuit to is going to be a woman. That's a challenge. They're all dude tracksuits. I have gone with, this is important. I went with April Flatten and Drew Dillon. Drew Dillon. I sent him a tracksuit too. Aaron Gennetti and Drew Dillon out of Columbus, Ohio at Endeavor CrossFit and Mixed Martial Arts. Those guys are the fucking bomb. Uh, I went with, I support the ladies. I oh, I know you support the ladies. I'm just saying we love tracksuits too. And Lauren Gillespie. Uh, tracksuit hunting. And so we got Brandon Powell. I can also introduce you to happily to uh, Paris Robinson, who's that's a that's a that's a whole other conversation. He's my tracksuit consultant. I know Paris. Do you? Not personally, but I've listened to a lot of his stuff, and I really mad respect for Paris Robinson. Long live him. Would you like to have him on your show? Love to. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal about shadow work. Happy. Okay, so watch this. See this. When you write down something, folks, it's 10 times, 1,000 times more likely to happen. Done. I'm having dinner with him tomorrow. Paris. Two. Thank you. Well, um, yeah. Uh, Lauren Gillespie and April Flatten, we went to Lady Foot Locker. We were out in the parking lot, and we called Paris to get some some tracksuit advice that dude's so stylish and and we went into lady footlocker and they were they lady footlocker's gangster they've got they don't have tracksuits they've got ensembles what, what do you got, mean with the shoes and the yeah they've got they've got the tops they've got the booty shorts they've got the slippers and the hats all the same shit it's unreal i didn't know no one knows it's been a long time since I've been into a later fo lady footlocker looking for something like that, but I'm, I'm looking for a new outfit. At least lady footlocker in Southern California. So I've, I've only ever been in one. So what does the tracksuit do for you and for all of these people that want to take it off of your back? Well, there's a quote that I like. Style 
is the the golden hand. I fucked it up. Its style is the <laughs> style is the golden hand that turns everything it touches to gold. I'm, I need that quote. I need that quote. Listen, tracksuits are fucking amazing. I mean, they really are. Put one on, folks. Go put one on while I'm searching for this quote about style. You know what? I don't even give a shit. I, I fucked it up, and I don't care. So, tracksuits, they're going to change. Chris Marhefka. There's another guy I give to the tracksuit to, and another good dude to get on your show. Man. Okay, so three people. That guy's he's, he's a beast. Thank you. Thank you. So, so Chris Marhefka. And ask him. If you get Chris on your show, ask him. All right. Uh, he's, he's one of the, he's the CEO and facilitator of training camp for the soul. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen him on Facebook. My God. Your outfit is glorious. Thought I was kidding. I don't know what your quote was about style. I don't have style. I wear the same thing every day because I can't make that many decisions. (laughs) But if I had a tracksuit, I'd have some style and I could also wear it every day. If you interview Chris Morehafka, ask him to wear his track. So well, his track is blue with gold down the, the sides and the, the legs. I gifted him that track. So I love that man. He's amazing. He's the embodiment. He's the embodiment of the work. And very handsome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is. For sure. The ladies love him. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a handsome man, and he's a, he's a heart-centered man. And he's got a kick-ass beard, so it covers all the bases. I, I gave him the tracksuit still in the plastic, and he goes into a bathroom <laughs> and Mike's Bledsoe's apartment house he puts on the tracksuit and all you hear is guttural noises oh of pleasure (laughs) (laughs) you think i'm kidding i'm not fucking kidding my goodness something clicked into place for that guy were you listening to him like how did you hear this because i'm right outside the door is flimsy you guys are so cute. Just listening, ear to the door. What's he going to say? I got, a, I got a picture of this. <laughs> it's a picture. Do you know who Leo Savage is? Love Leo Savage. Oh, my goodness. He is a mace master. There, he's the man. So there's a, I'm, I'm getting to it. Picture of me, Leo, and Chris in... There's dishes happening downstairs. Oh, you guys, look at that. Buddies. That's sick. There is a documentary out on Netflix called Mucho Mucho Amor. And it's about an astrologer, infamous Latin astrologer who wears these capes and he's famous for his capes and of course his his love and the wisdom that he puts out. I imagine in 50 years, you're going to, they're going to have a, a museum pop-up thing happening for you 
where it shows all of your stages of tracksuits. And at 80 years old, you're going to wear the most epic whoever space designer Star Trek thing is happening at that moment. It's just going to be lined up. People are going to shuffle through. (laughs) This is the man who made victim mentality obsolete and gave us style. I'll accept that. If that happens, I will accept it with open arms and I and the other enlisted coaches will have paid our dues. We're beyond committed. We're serious and sincere about helping people with their their language and their stories and their identities. Because just like there's the microcosm and the macrocosm, just like the microcosm, I'm doing the macrocosm now. The microcosm is me looking at that fucked version of myself and saying, no. And now it's us looking at this global version of ourselves, fucked, saying no. And we do have an answer for it. There's absolutely an answer for suffering. And it starts, you, there is no other way, folks. Someone else is not going to change your story for you. I don't care what you say. That's the best of news. It's the worst of news. The last question I wanted to ask you that's been on my mind, just intense curiosity from, from one strange person to another. What is your limit on exploring, on exploration, period? Where is your mind going to evolve this language process? Where do you go to explore beyond the pirate code and the tracksuits? Is there anything weird you dabble in? And I'll say this. The reason why I ask is because I want to encourage people, if I have a mission here on this planet, it's to encourage people to dabble, try lots of things, get weird. What's your weird thing right now? My weird thing right now, in, in comparison to other versions of myself, everything's pretty normal. Everything's pretty normal. My advice to the audience is if the phone rings and it's weird and strange on the other side, on the other end of the phone, answer the call, pick it up, go do something, go do something different, go travel. I know it's not, that, that easy at the moment. You can always travel internally. I mean, shit, psychedelics. Psychedelics. Go take five grams of mushrooms and then pick up a pen 24 hours later. A heroic dose. Or go hang out with the person that you laugh the most with. I moved down to Vilcabamba, Ecuador, which is a small town in the middle of the Andes Mountains, 45 miles north of the Peruvian border. 75% of the reason I moved down there was because the guy that I laughed the most with on planet Earth was down there. Hang out with good people. You don't need to go like crazy. You don't need to do weird, crazy shit. 
unless you want to do weird, crazy shit. Unless weird, crazy shit is presenting itself to you and you feel the pull to go do it, then go do it, okay? Fear and all, doesn't matter, whatever. Hang out with people that make you feel good. Hang out with people that, that are interesting to you. There's a difference between friends and interesting friends. What interests you about people? Well, I guess they're wise. Why do they do what they do? I always find it interesting to converse with people who've gotten really, really, really good at something. What made that person take that thing so far? What made the person commit? At, learn to ask good questions, folks. You know, there's a big difference between how are you and what was the highlight of your day. Do I have a nickname yet? Not yet. Am I destined to never have a nickname? What's wrong with me? <laughs> It'll happen when it happens. Mark England making his mark on the English language. Thank you so much for spending all this time with me today. You're welcome. I had fun. You're a fantastic host. Thank you. Thank you. And you're a fantastic guest. Where can people find more information about how they can join your cult? <laughs> Where can people learn to get their tick, their soft talk tick? Oh, which by the way, I didn't finish that sent that whole conversation we had at the beginning. The reason why we called Ashley Bledsoe is because when she was on my show, she, by the way, I've gone through four white claws by now. You've been doing a lot of talking, so I think that you've been doing, damn, soft talk. Less drinking than I have. So every once in a while, she would say probably, and she would mutter under her breath, remove probably and just continue on. And I was thinking that's very weird, <laughs> but I also do the same thing. Other people that I know that have gone, gone through your course have that same tick to them. They're mutter, remove maybe, remove like. <laughs> They're practicing. They're practicing. And I appreciate being the safe place for them to remove whatever it is. So where can people learn to get that tick? Instagram. I've, I have a feeling it's going to be popular at some point in time. Mark England 2020. I Why 2020? That, yeah, say, just thought to do it. I turned that account into a 80% uh, education, 20% entertainment. And we do a I do a free complimentary coaching class for everyone once a week on Thursdays. If you want to know more about that, message me on Instagram. So it's all on Instagram. Awesome. Where can people find your tracksuits? Reason.com. I'm not that big of a fan, Negation and Miles about what they've come out with recently. There was a, there was a two year, I think they changed designers. There was a two year period of time where their shit was slick as hell. 
Not so much now, but you know, that's just me. Anyway, I got in while the getting was good. <laughs> just get a tracksuit. Get a tracksuit, go wear it out. Watch what happens. You'll feel, you'll, you'll, it's not that you'll feel better about yourself, you'll feel. Language upgrade, wear a tracksuit and breathe. Breathe. Thank you so much. Love you, Mark. You're welcome so much.